What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you another week of what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? Top of the morning, top of the morning, top of the morning. Let's get this shit. Yeah, man. Uh, we're going to be talking about quite a few things today. We have a couple of records to talk about, a lot of TV, a lot of TV because we're also talking Emmys today. And then we have a, a movie that you were able to make it to. Um, before we start, hit that subscribe button if you're listening on soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod or youtube.com slash nostalgiapod. Also follow us on, on Twitter at nostalgiapod. And also check out our Nostalgia Best of 2021 music playlist on Spotify, which features a song from Lisa from Blackpink. And why is that, Dave? Lisa released her debut single album, La Lisa, named after her given name. And once again, like with Blackpink's uh, Rosé releasing a single album, I just, and we've talked about this before with, uh, other k-pop groups releasing mini albums i love k-pop's just refusal to use the term ep it's really funny to me yeah it's uh i mean two songs really tough to call it an album but hey i mean if it works it works i guess uh i gotta say you know if not we're we're, we're growing k-pop fans here on the podcast dave a little bit more aware of the uh the comings and goings but We've we've reviewed quite a few albums to this point, and uh, the, the music video for Lisa and the song La Lisa is absurd and rules. It's just so good. <laughs> that song, like immediately after hearing, it, I said to you, like this this song is awesome. Added it to the playlist without even like a doubt. Um, it's just it, it's like kind of all over the place and chaotic, but like in the best way possible. And I, and I just really dig Lisa. I mean, singing sounds like a lot of the K-pop uh, female vocalists, but her rapping ability is, I think, what I was most impressed with, uh, impressed with on this. What about you? Yeah, well, that's why I really like Lisa as a member of Blackpink. Probably my favorite member, but I do like all of them. But I always liked it because she seems just very versatile. She sings and she raps, plainly, just like Jenny does. And like thinking back to like the big black pink songs, right? Like kill this, uh, kill this love, or especially how you like that big Lisa rap verses are big parts of those songs. And just uh, the prospect of hearing a Lisa solo album, which would have a lot of rapping is, is appealing to me because she's pretty good at it now, because this is black pink, they don't put out a lot of music. So we got two solo tracks, but yeah, I think the title track, La Lisa, probably does the best job of showing off her talents because like the first verse is all singing and the second verse is all rapping and in general that's a song that has like a lot of a lot of switch ups Mm -hmm. and if you watch the music video it clearly took a long time to make because there's like a lot of outfit changes and hair and wig changes and stuff like that's very interesting changes she's all over the place in that right desert in like all these like studio places it's crazy yeah, and she actually spoke to the production of the song, incorporating a bit of her uh, Thai heritage in terms of like some like background production. I mean, obviously, I'm not like well versed enough to hear that, but like she said, it she said it's there, um, and that was actually something she reached out to Teddy Park, the you know Blackpink Uber producer, to bring that bring something in because she doesn't write her own songs, but what she does that that, that is some of the you know feedback she gave. But yeah, I mean. 
between the rapping and also again the visual component her dancing uh, i think that's that's always been like her appeal so with these two songs again it, it's such a slight you know taste but it's still pretty fun like even like money the second song i guess more traditional like k-pop rap banger and like lyrically it's like really really basic let's be real like yeah like 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 the, the hook the hook the hook lyrics you know that the twerking parts like it's, it's quite simple honestly but she's good enough to make like dumb rap bangers and i just wish we could get like an album of them because they'd be really fun Blackpink operates, as you said, in like the less is more type area. And it, it does exact it, it does exactly what they want it to, which is for us to just be like, we want it. when they drop something, it becomes huge. So uh, I'm with the strategy that they have. I just every time I think about Blackpink, I think about the um, Coachella documentary that was made a few years back and mm-hmm. like how they talked about Blackpink. I think it was actually from last year. They talked about Blackpink's performance in 2019 and just how like, everyone was there for it and like energy around it was crazy i mean their, their the, debut the performance in the u.s yeah yeah the, the hype around them is just insane and uh, i i would love to hear more from them obvious i'm sure we will in, in due time but for now like I'll, I'll take these one two song albums and enjoy the hell out of them yeah and i mean speaking to that hype uh la lisa the music video became the fastest youtube video to reach 100 million views for a soloist um, obviously all those big records overall are largely from groups but soloist record funny enough uh, yeah man i would i would lo- I'd love to love to hear more like, they just had the blackpink the movie uh, come out do a very brief theatrical run in august five years of blackpink and it's like man five years of blackpink and there's like 25 blackpink songs it's like oh <laughs> give us more please <laughs> Yeah, I I can't wait till we hear more. But until then, Lalisa will have to hold us over. Uh, Someone that we got more of was B.B. Keem dropping Melodic Blue. And uh, Keem is someone that we talked about for Triple XL Freshman. Double XL, brother. Sorry, double. I I think I've done that every time I've talked about it recently. I'm just adding next. It's going to be quite a triple next time. Bigger and bigger. Yeah. Uh, Well, Definitely with this album, 16 songs, right around uh, 50, I believe. And really, I think what's the most is there's not a lot of cohesion, I would say, around the like themes of the album. But Keem is trying a lot of stuff here. And I think it's varying degrees of effect. But I think there's more good than bad here on this album. What did you think of Baby Keem's The Melodic Blues? Yeah, I agree. Uh, this is notably his debut album and also his first project on PG Lang, the relatively brand new multimedia company slash record label founded by Kendrick Lamar and his TDE cohort, Dave Free. And it's come out recently that Keem may in fact be a cousin of Kendrick Lamar. This certainly was not uh, the thought when Baby King blew up a few years back, uh, he had two mixtapes come out in between 2018 and 2019, and Orange Soda off that second mixtape became a big hit for him, went platinum. And I think what he did on that second tape, Die For My Bitch, is pretty similar to what he does in Melodic Blue in the sense that, as you said, there's a lot of like different stuff going on, and there's not the most uh, label cohesion, but there's still a lot of like appealing vocal talent and just mm-hmm. like choices done with the music 
that you want to hear more. And there's been a lot of hype for Baby Keem uh, leading up to this album. And, and to get the melodic blue, I think you're right. Like it's, it's definitely not a perfect album, but there's a lot of cool stuff going on. And that's really fun because like, honestly, this album was not like expected until like a few weeks back. Like he only confirmed it was coming out quite recently, which is cool. Yeah. You know, I, I think the album starts off really hot. I think uh, the first two tracks, um, Trademark USA, is mm-hmm. Keem just showing up, showing off his rapping in chops, just like totally crushing it. And then that going into Pink Panties, which is so bouncy, feels like a West Coast song, something that might be on like a YG album almost, at oh. least in terms of like the the beat and the bounce to it. Uh, I was, I, I thought that was a great way to start the album off. Maybe my favorite two song sequence on the whole thing and, and that's not to say that there aren't good other sequences but those two really stood out um want to pass it back to you though what were the songs or moments that you liked the most so i agree the beginning's really good and i really liked the beginning uh trademark usa like you said just really fun bars there and then like you know halfway through the song there's that beat switch there's that flow yeah. switch you get some rosalia background vocals i think that's a really good song really good intro Pink Panties has that uh, chorus sample by Che Ikru, please say say it. And I, I really like those vocals on that hook. Sounds good. Um, and then Range Brothers, man. Track four, Kendrick Lamar, Top of the Morning, Let's Get This Shit. <laughs> really memorable uh, feature from Kendrick, which is great because we already had a very memorable feature with the lead single Family Ties also featuring Kendrick from a, you know, a week ago or so. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, I, I think Range Brothers is probably my favorite song just because I th- think that Kendrick verse is like hilarious and also just fun to go back to. But there's other stuff I liked. I really liked uh, Lost Souls. I thought uh, Boo Man was pretty fun. And Scars, he interpolates Kanye's Love Lockdown. Yeah. Uh, production wise, when you listen to it back to back, you can actually hear it really easily. I didn't catch it mm-hmm. uh, the first run through. But yeah, I mean, I think there's some songs I like. Now, other times, I think the effort Keem's giving on the song is uh, not as evident. So there's dips in quality, like they're just kind of more throwaway tracks. But then he can follow that mm-hmm. up with a song, like I said, with like multiple flows and intricate production. And he also produced uh, almost every song on this. So he's very involved yeah. in the making of this album. So uh, not perfect, but... Uh, people should be invested in baby Keem. That much is obvious. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment hundred percent. I, I was really impressed when I checked out the credits and saw that he was uh, produced uh, every song, or at least was a co-producer in every song because um, like, like we've said, you know, things aren't perfect on this. And I think there's probably grow, uh, room for growth in terms of like scope, but also just like cohesiveness in, in terms of the sound the fact that he is so diverse in terms in his production already, I, I think is really a, a great sign. And I think just indicates that we're going to see him doing a lot of interesting stuff, probably to very, to varying degrees of success. But um, yeah, I, I was really impressed, you know, because a, a song like do rag activity, right. It sounds like Travis Scott track. He, you know, I, I feel like it in a lot of ways because Travis is like the main person for the first half of the song. It's easy to just kind of like think that, but Keem, I think stands up pretty well next to him. And the fact that he can make a song that sounds like a Scott song, that song that reminded me of like a YG song. And then a song like range brothers, like that's, 
that's not nothing. <laughs> I think yeah. that, that's a good sign for someone who's only 21 years old. So a lot of good stuff on here for sure. Yeah, we should also note that on Family Ties, Kendrick, of course, saying address me as four letters, smoking on top five, so he puts it. Of course, Freddie Gibbs the other day just yeah. uh, responding to Kendrick, calling him out, which honestly, you love to see it because Gibbs, uh, as we've been saying, a lot of people have been saying online, definitely deserves his just desserts as a top-tier rapper who just doesn't have, you know, big commercial presence, but is still right up there with the best of them as a rapper. I doubt Kendrick uh, follows that up with anything, but awesome to hear, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hoping, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hate this a little like friendly back and forth, you know, get some, uh, some good Lucy's out of them, but mm. I just want to shout out that this record um, expected to bring in uh, 50 to 55,000 album mm. equivalent units. Um, pretty great. And uh, for up to 4,000 pure album sales. So for a 20, 21 year old, uh, pretty great debut. Uh, he's going to be in the top five of Billboard's top 200. Katie Keem sharing the top five Billboard top 200 with next about Casey Musgraves, who we haven't talked about too much since 2018's Golden Hour, uh, an album that we both liked a lot. Um, you know, I think it really. Casey more into like the pop sphere of things, which I, I think is a little bit more up our alley. We're not big country fans on the show, as evidenced by our lack of country reviews. Um, sure. But Casey really makes her background with some disco, with you know just pure writing ability, um, and was really, really uh, just like a really impressive album fourth album and our fifth one star cross comes out for you and you know my, my first in, on listening to it my first take was uh your like downbeat sad album we've had a lot of these recently uh this one makes a little bit more sense to me uh i mean everybody's been through a lot this year but uh casey musgraves you know this album is directly about her divorce from her uh now ex-husband and country star who i i don't know uh rustin kelly i mean mm -hmm. who? Uh, <laughs> anyways uh you know uh, she's so, so she's going through a lot and um i think this album is still a really strong album in terms of like writing just does not live up to the highs of golden hour to me what about like star crossed I did like Starcrossed. Uh, I would say there's still some really appealing moments to me. I think because it doesn't actually come across as like that sad sounding to me. I think partially because lyrically, she's more or less taking a more looking forward, positive outlook message about her breakup, about her past mistakes and the failings of her marriage and all that and it actually comes across as like more relatable and i guess more general so like it's an accessible stuff to even people that aren't you know divorced and whatnot um and i think there's just some really nice moments that um i think stand out to me just as songs you can just pick up they don't have to really remind you of uh breakup songs and whatnot 
you know, in Golden Hour, obviously being the first semblance of any transition away from country music from her, still having country stuff, but, you know, uh, Slow Burn and Space Cowboy, High Horse. Yes, there's still like country, you know, wordplay and all that. But the way the songs are made, they definitely are incorporating a lot more genres than just traditional country music. And obviously, Casey has uh, been able to kind of branch out beyond the country charts, which is obviously nice to see because it's not she was like getting huge success when she was pure country anyway. And obviously, High Horse, still my favorite song off that album, just because oh yeah, has a disco jam, you know, so good. But on this, you know. There's no high horse this time around, and there's probably nothing like as intricate in the writing department as like Space Cowboy or something like that. But I thought Simple Times hook was tremendous, mm-hmm. and the guitar on that sounded great. And then Breadwinner has a really poppy chorus while still being acoustic. So I think there's there's still some good stuff here, no question. Oh yeah, for sure. Two of the ones that you shouted out and two of my first tracks on this was usually a good sign. But Breadwinner and Simple Times, I think both are uh, up there. I love the um, Good Wife a lot. It's, it's definitely a little bit slower, but um, just like it's the kind of song you like melt into and over. Um, Simple Times, you mentioned uh, if this was a movie also, um, I, I thought it was a standout especially with uh, just like the lyrical lyrically, I think it kind of touches on the themes of the album that you talked about where she's kind of coming from the divorce, but also like not necessarily in a way where it's like, Oh man, I'm totally heartbroken, but more so like this, what would have happened, but it's not. And this is where we're at, like actually just like very plain. I think that's what is most impressive in her songwriting on this album is that it's very like, straightforward and like matter of fact there's like you know she uses some pretty cool throughout but just to get across like very straightforward thoughts and messages and i i think that actually might have been helped by the fact that she just worked with two other musicians ian fidget and uh, daniel tashian and they produce produce and wrote everything together so it's like not a lot of kitchen it's just straight musk and her collaborators which i think is great so i I still think this is a really strong album, but it's just hard to follow up Golden Hour with something that's a little bit more, you know, heavy in content, maybe, you know, or top. Yeah, and I would say that I didn't, I was not aware of this album cycle happening. And I did see that sentiment shared a little bit. It's like, oh, yeah, happy to have this. It sounds pretty good. But uh, was anyone else anticipating this? Like, I, and, you know, thinking about it, Golden Hour, that was early 2018. Her Grammy for Album of the Year was early 2019. It's been plenty of time for the next Casey Musgraves albums. It makes plenty of sense. And yeah, I just don't think the press uh, work was laid, uh, at least not to my knowledge. Um, yeah, and the, the people you mentioned, uh, Ian Fitchick and Daniel Tashin, they had done a lot of work with her on Golden Hour, but it's notable that other people, as you said, other people that worked with her throughout all her albums up through Golden Hour, uh, which are more like, you know, Nashville tied those people no longer were involved. So definitely seems like a good uh, creative move again, because she doesn't need to like worry about Nashville uh, convention anymore. She's clearly branched out beyond just being a country artist. And 
there's still plenty of country, you know, stylings on here, but there's also some really yeah. like, groovy songs, you know. So uh, it, it's clear that Casey Mus- Musgraves is much more, uh, uh, you know, all encompassing. I also really like yeah. Cherry Blossoms as a song, like the production on that obviously would feel very uh, out of place on a traditional country record. For sure. Yeah, I mean, she's definitely um, elevated beyond just a pure country artist. It's 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 really nice to see her continue to expand and still keeping the same things that she's really good at, which I think is making really strong right off the the writing. So um, I was a little bit surprised not to see any uh, Ezra Ezra Koenig on this, mm. um, which you know they they collaborated a little bit on um, Golden Hour and just he would have been like prime there because he's not doing anything with uh, vampire weekend right now but you know uh he said maybe next time all right dave let's move on to tv and something that we were able to catch an episode of before we had to record today on uh fx on hulu is why the last man um uh series based off of a uh, comic book from i think it's pretty recent this comic book right uh Uh, yeah brian k vaughn comic book why the last man very very popular very well liked the dystopian series yeah and as you just mentioned it's uh you know a post-apocalyptic world where every person with a y chromosome has uh mysteriously died except for y and his uh Hmm. pet monkey um which uh, i i gotta say really love the monkey um warming up to the show i would say after just one episode i think there's it's obviously a lot of exposition and setup in the first episode there's a lot going on so my hope is that as episodes two and three uh play out it be it kind of hones in a little bit more on certain characters and, and themes but what did you think of the the premiere episode of why the last man yeah so the comic series ran from 2002 to 2008 so in the grand scheme of comic books that's that's recent and yeah so i liked it uh like you said a lot of exposition a lot of uh you know table setting introducing yourself to characters female characters that you know will survive uh in the subsequent uh, hours to follow and i think for me it's just kind of like the potential of the series because dystopian series actually is quite a mixed bag on TV. And if we could get one that's really good and really compelling, that'd be super cool. You know, because like, remember the Walking Dead hype back in the day? Uh, Walking Dead's still, still ongoing. It's an ending, but there's many spinoffs and all that for AMC. The Walking Dead like had like like so much like potential before we all realized what kind of show The Walking Dead was going to be, and it wasn't actually that concerned with its more like existential themes and all that. It seems like Why the Last Man, due to the uh, unable to avoid like gender study stuff that can happen with this, uh, has a lot of potential. So I, I hope it can get there. Um, I was disappointed when they uh, ended up recasting. Uh, this this lead role for why here Ben Schnitzer is our lead, mm-hmm. but this was supposed to be played by Barry Kagan when the show mm-hmm. got off the ground. In general, the series at FX has had a troubled production, troubled getting off the ground, multiple showrunners. Then it had some COVID issues when it finally started getting made, but uh, it's finally out. And 
Now, you still have Diane Lane involved. That's obviously our most famous actor present. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's a, just kind of the potential of, of the world, as it were. So we'll see, we'll see how, how far we get. Because I, I trust FX at the end of the day, you know, so I'm going give to give, the, give them the rope. Yeah, I think that that's a good point, is FX really does a nice job of curating most of these shows. Um, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm a little interested to see uh, what comes of uh, Olivia Thurlby, I hope I said that correctly, um, whose character, uh, you know, commits a murder by the end of the first episode and uh, just kind of if that's going to just be yada yada out or how that's going to kind of hang Doesn't over need things. to be yada yada, bro. They all died. <laughs> I know. Right. So uh, it's going to be interesting how that kind of just like affects the show or if that will just be whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, I have to say, I think Ben Schnetzer, you know, it's a uh, okay amount of screen time in the first episode, obviously going to be heavily involved in the other episodes, but I wasn't super impressed with him. And I, I worry that, uh, as you said, maybe a more accomplished or recognizable actor might be better served to play a role like this. That's going to be so central to how things move forward. Um, but we'll see. I mean, maybe it's, you know, just one episode and he really shines. Um, Diane Lane, I think, was by far my favorite presence and all the stuff around the, the government I find really okay. interesting. So uh, really looking forward to how they uh, kind of play that out. Um, it's only six episodes from what I can see. So I, it's it's going to be 10. Um, oh, it's going to be 10. Okay. So yeah. only the critics got the first six. Gotcha. That's what it is. So um, looking forward to seeing how this plays out. There's three on FX on Hulu. So if you want to catch the first one and binge a couple more, go for it. Right. Um, any more thoughts, Dave? Yeah. You know, in the press they're they're talking about, some of the stuff they were thinking about this and one of them was like logistically like if this was to happen in the world where all people with a y chromosome died there's a lot of like societal things that would just die because like for example only like 10 percent of truck uh commercial truck drivers are women it's things like that mm -hmm. right and it's like right. oh wow and this this, this kind of again brings me back to the walking dead and where it came up short for me is like logistically the logistics of dystopias and how new societies try and like survive that's always the most interesting shit to me you know yeah. like when the walking dead got obsessed with like we're gonna go fight those other people you know the the alexandria blah 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 it's like i don't care about that i want to know how the fuck you're eating your food every day and shit like that you know in the case of this obviously it's not going to be like the zombie apocalypse because there's still tons of people around right but i just want to mm -hmm. see like like what are like the new like societal dynamics? And then I guess because I don't really don't know from exposure to the comics or anything, like how exactly does uh, Yorick like matter as the one man? It's like, is it just as simple as like, oh, you better fucking get that semen and uh, freeze that shit, you know? <laughs> like, is, is that all it is? Or like, w where is this going? But like, yeah, I think there's a lot of, a lot of potential with like just the, even the simple stuff. Yeah, well, and we, we also saw that uh, it looks like all mammals with a Y chromosome are somewhat yes. impacted. So then obviously food supply in terms of at least like meat or, and you know, the effect that that's going to have on the nature and the ecosystem, things like that, yeah. all really interesting. So um, great premise, looking forward to seeing how it plays out. Um, why don't we keep it moving though to a 
another show that premiered just this weekend, Scenes from a Marriage. Oscar Isaac, who you're going to be talking about a little bit more in a second, um, and Jessica Chastain, you know, and heavy, uh, heavy, like, marriage story meets, like, Master of None type mm. feel, you know? Um, Master and, of and None, think, season three in particular. Yeah, season three in particular. Um, you know, especially uh, with the, the final scene in the episode, which we'll get to. Um, you know, this is based off of a Swedish show from the 1970s um from Ingmar Bergman yeah which I think is pretty interesting um to be bringing this back Hagi Levy is uh the director and you know dude I gotta say I I sit all day talking with people that's just my job pretty much so shows like this or in treatment never really appeal to me just because it's like, oh, this, this stuff is hard mm. and this is really uncomfortable. My mom has always said the same stuff about anything related to her line of work, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, I think it's a common, common thought. So it was kind of, it wasn't totally my bag, but I, I think you can still look at the performances given by Isaac and Chastain. And, you know, in this episode, we get Corey Stoll and mm. um, Sunita Manny as well. Right. Uh, giving a really, really strong, um, like, 15 minutes in the middle of the episode and um you you can appreciate it even if it's not totally your thing what did you think of the first episode yeah no i totally agree and i'm gonna keep watching it because it's only it's five episodes thankfully it's not like eight or anything like that and because it's two world-class talents in a miniseries it's like and they're operating a high level they have good chemistry through one episode it's like i feel like i gotta see it through but to your point yeah this is probably going to be like the most tension-filled moments of marriage story the whole mm-hmm. time for five hours that, that that that's a tough ask you know that's not for everyone uh, i totally understand um and in the case of like master nun season three uh you know that was an uneven season in this case we're asking a lot of two a-list performers to kind of carry us through you know um that Igmar bergman miniseries from the 70s kind of revelatory at the time because the miniseries as a format was just not super popular now of course it's one of the most you know accomplished ways for talent to get on screen right so very different times we're in but i think i'm just just gonna hope it's not too unbearable but yeah they're clearly gonna tear each other apart and it's gonna be a tough hang yeah um interesting uh just doing a little bit of research for this uh michelle williams is a producer on this an executive producer on this and was originally supposed to play chastain's character has scheduling conflict and i just think about that scene from uh manchester by the sea where you know her and casey affleck finally like talk and you know have like the breakdown and if i if michelle williams had been in that role in the final scene in the doctor's office in this episode i mean chastain totally destroyed me but michelle williams might have actually like brought me to tears like not not yeah. that chastain isn't as good of an actress but i think michelle williams just hits those like deeper feels mm-hmm. a little bit more for some reason for me yeah in general but, the, the, this first episode i think has like some really great like long scenes right you have that inter- interview scene really start us off with a sunita mani who we know from mr robot really like that and then later on you know after like the the dinner stuff with Corey stoll and all that you get that really long scene in the bedroom 
mm-hmm. when you find out she's pregnant and all that. And those long scenes, I think, just do a really good job to highlight the writing and give the performers yeah. time, you know, because that's all it is, just talking. This was a show made in, during COVID and maybe surprisingly reminds us every episode, apparently, that it was made during COVID because you see these like behind the scenes, I don't know, behind the scenes scenes of yeah. like Chastain walking onto set and everyone around her has a mask on. When I first saw it, I was like, is this like in the narrative? And then you realize, no, it's not. It's literally just behind the scenes work. I'm not sure what the choice was there, but uh, everything else with the first episode I thought was, was really well done to convey what it is. And like, yeah, again, those long scenes are really good. The writing feels so real, <laughs> which is uh, obviously a huge compliment when, you can make dialogue that feels real, but you know, the characters that they're talking about, whether it's um, Corey Stoll and Nicole Bahari's characters who are in an open marriage and, you know, talking about the uh, loss of the different relationships that they've had in their marriage and how that impacts their central marriage to things. And then, you know, Chastain trying to be there for, for her friend and, you know, kind of judging her, but then kind of not judging her. Um, and Oscar Isaac is this like intellectual who like over intellectualizes everything and just, uh, you know, comes across, I think, a bit like cold and, and you know, distant at times. It's uh, just so true to life. I feel like I feel like I know these characters, which, uh, you know, is good. And, and like you like you said, kind of makes it even more unbearable at times. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really have too many more thoughts on the show. I'm looking forward to it, even mm. if it's going to be a, a brutal hour yeah. every week. Yeah, a reunion for Oscar Isaac and Chastain. They, of course, played a married couple in A Most Violent Year, the film for 2014 mm-hmm. and, or 2015. And we're actually going to be getting more of both of them later this fall because Chastain is in the eyes of Tammy Faye coming out mm-hmm. next week. And Oscar Isaac, of course, is in Dune. So I love both oh, of these yeah. actors. So uh, let's go. That, <laughs> just a little movie named Dune. Uh, yeah, let's go. Uh, Isaac Tammy Faye, Andrew Garfield comeback. Se- second round of comeback, I said. Comeback, bro, he never left for me. Mm. <laughs> he, Under okay, the Silver Lake, let's go. I, I mean, Spider-Man was tough, but uh, why don't we keep it rolling to someone that of course needs a comeback, Ryan Murphy. Um, American Crime Story Impeachment. We've been talking about Ryan Murphy a lot. It, actually, I, I, I didn't even check. Is he actually like, uh, he's probably an executive producer on this, right? But I doubt he's yeah, directing. He no, he's not. Yeah, not directing, but he's the creator of American Crime Story, the franchise. So this is, this is uh, one of his joints. And notably, because of a older deal signed between Fox and Netflix in 2016 that included global rights to ACS, American Crime Story Impeachment is not part of FX on Hulu, despite being an FX series and ACS always being an FX show. So it'll be on Netflix sometime next year, but you do not get that on-demand uh, next day viewing on Hulu the way you do with, say, Why the Last Man or other FX shows like Reservation Dogs. So that was kind of a uh, eyebrow-raising thing when I realized, wait, an FX show is not on Hulu the next day? What the fuck, man? Alas, here yeah. we are. Deals are deals. I'll- also, just want to clean this up. Uh, he did, in fact, direct this episode of this week. So just Ryan Murphy. Pilot. Yeah, it, it looks like it doesn't. It doesn't have the other uh, directors here on the page I'm looking at. But um, yeah, I mean, 
I don't know. American uh, Crime Story, obviously O.J. Simpson. While I don't think it's the like the best acted TV show of last however many years, was just super compelling. I mean, the O.J. saga is just so compelling as is that. I feel like you'd really have to flub it up to not make it somewhat at least interesting TV show. I mean, if anything, I would say the acting is the best part about People versus OJ. You think specifically? So? I mean, Courtney B. Vance. Oh, uh, no, sorry. Uh, that, uh, Courtney true. B. Vance as Johnny Cochran, and then Sterling K. Brown as Chris Darner. That was a complete revelation at the time. And then also yeah, Sarah right. Parson yeah. as Marsha Clark. Those three performances are are awesome. And great, yeah, great like, point. Yeah, Schwimmer's kind of you know. Juice, juice all the time and Travolta's doing his his thing but and, I and, good, and Gooding Jr. is not good either yeah but I guess that's the best part because like you know I think it's all kind of coalesced because like the writing on that straightforward but like it was the best example of what the American crime story thing is supposed to be in terms of presenting like tabloidy and media sensationalized public stories and dramatizing them and it was the best example. Like Gianni, especially Gianni Versace, notably, was non-linear and told in reverse order. And in general, I just didn't think it was as a compelling story to experience again. And I guess that's oh, kind of the, the key question with impeachment: is is this a compelling story to revisit? It's notable that this was initially dropped as a potential ACS season. Because Murphy didn't think it should be done without Monica Lewinsky's say in the matter. And then about a year later, she signed on as a producer, Lewinsky did, mm-hmm. and they made the show. And of course, you know, they dropped the Hurricane Katrina thing years ago at this point as potential season. And now we have it. And yeah, it's clear that we're getting the Lewinsky side of the story, mm-hmm. focusing on the women. Also, Paula Jones, Linda Tripp, that's clearly our three central figures here from what i understand from the critics bill clinton's presence is minimal in this season in the story where they're telling it but i mean did, did it do enough for you in one episode to make you no. want to keep going oh man i mean i'm going to keep going just because like uh, it's a scandal from my childhood that i from our childhood that i think we both probably at least remember being part of the adults in our in our lives I mean, day, when, when did this happen? 99? Yeah, 98? I mean, I think it's 99. Yeah. I was only like seven, so I was definitely aware of what was going on. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember all the hullabaloo about it and whatnot. It's, uh, you know, I think it's it's really tough because Linda Tripp in this is painted as such a piece of shit you know clearly yeah and the first episode just revolves around her and like you said setting up like monica is this very sympathetic figure who got i mean and i mean i I think lewinsky has been painted in a terrible light and uh, i think recently people have started to recognize how Mm. unfair the publicity around all this was when you know she's totally taken advantage of as a young uh, you know, professional in the workplace with the most powerful man in the world who was seducing her and, and mm-hmm. you know, being inappropriate with her. Um, but it's it seems pretty one-sided, like you said. And to me, that's not as interesting. Also, you don't get any bill in this. You get, like, maybe, like, one second at the very end. It's like, I want to see Clive Owen just doing his thing. Let's see it. And if, if he sucks his bill, then 
the show probably is going to totally flop. Um, mm. uh, Beanie, uh, she can probably pull off a good Lewinsky. I thought she was okay, very like doe-eyed in this first episode, but just overall, I just didn't think anything here really grabbed me. If anything, I was like, okay, we get it. She like hates the way she looks, and like Linda Tripp is very jealous yeah. of this person. Like we get it. Like let's just kind of move on. But and that's kind of been the thing with the advanced reviews is that it's not very nuanced and stop me if you heard this before about a ryan murphy associated show not being new us but here we are <laughs> but yeah like linda linda trip presence is like bordering on like unwatchable just because of how grating it is sarah paulson for what it's worth doing doing what she does but she's also you know kind of like wearing prosthetics and wearing a fat suit i don't know if that was the best choice could just bring mm-hmm. cast someone else and also yeah. like yeah, this is doing a good job to like tell the Monica side of the story. And, you know, Lewinsky gave a TED talk years ago and it seemed in general, she's more public facing now and try to take back her life and her story and all that. But you know what this is not going to do is recontextualize Linda Tripp, who, by the way, had a very tough time publicly during during all this as well. Right. You know, remember the John Goodman SNL skits and stuff. Uh-huh. It's like it, 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 it's, it's definitely the Lewinsky side of things. Yeah. And, you know, the story with a more capable hand, I don't even know if, like, there's a higher level to achieve with this just because if you're not going to try and turn over a new leaf beyond the obvious stuff, then kind of, like, what's the point? Because People vs. OJ was just fun because of how pulpy the story is, right? Impeachment isn't fun, you know? Everything around it, it is bad. And even if we're going to try and contextualize the blame and, and rightfully put it on you know, Bill Clinton in terms of power dynamics and all that, I just, just still don't know if there's enough here to really make it the most watchable thing. Yeah, I will say it's only five episodes. So, you know, <laughs> at least it's not going to be something we have to tune into for, you know, 10. It's it's. And I think think that's a good call. You know, when when you were talking a second ago, I was like, let's hope this isn't like seven or eight, because I think then they're really going to be dragging this out. I think five is probably a good sweet spot. You know, you get like a Bill and Hillary episode, and then you get Bill being uh, deposed and impeached and, you know, finally having like the, I did not have sexual relations with that woman thing. Like, you kind of know the beats that are going to come about from this. So I hate to break it to you. But the critics have seen seven of ten episodes. No, this is ten episodes, bro. Oh man, this is the second time today I got got. Oh, man, yeah. Anyways, uh, I gotta say, like, OJ was just... ten and Versace was nine, so probably saw that coming. Loaded. Like if it, if it really was five, I feel like that would be a good amount. But sure, yeah, I'm, I think I'm out on that many. Yeah, so. apparently Edie Falco's Hillary Clinton is also like barely in the show as well, and. It, yeah i don't know i mean i've only seen one episode but just seems it seems like i kind of seen a lot of it already based on what everyone else is saying who's seen more of it so and to uh, me I, I feel like that would be one of the most interesting aspects is like seeing the like behind the scenes look of how the clintons as a you know powerful public couple mm-hmm. were dealing with this and yeah what their marriage actually was you know it's long been reported it's one way and publicly facing they're obviously a different way it, I don't know. Yeah. So Ryan they Murphy did announce the person to do this. Right. So they did announce what the fourth season being developed is going to be about American crime story. And that'll be about studio 54, 
which I think has a lot more potential yeah. just because obviously that's a, you know, a story of a, uh, the famous world renowned nightclub legendary, then quickly, you know, crashes and burns due to tax evasion on the part of the founders and the owners. That seems really ripe to be fun because there's all like the obvious flash and, Halston. you know, fun stuff about Studio 54 in its heyday before everything goes to shit. So I do think that's a great choice. So TBD. Yeah, and that was just, uh, just featured heavily in the miniseries Halston on uh, Netflix. Yep. So if you want to get a little, little taste for that, go check that out. Um, yeah, I don't know. Ryan Murphy, I'm, I'm selling all my tickets on this. I even forgot to change the background. Damn. Um, <laughs> anyways, why don't we move on to another Oscar Isaac product here, the card counter. Um, sure. man, I, I was really sad. I didn't get to go see this one. My, my plans to go see it got dashed when, uh, some of my, uh, social plans got m- moved around. So I was disappointed. I wasn't able to talk about this with you today, but you were able to go check this out, right? I was, yes. The Card Counter, the latest film from Paul Schrader, his first film since 2018's First Reformed, starring Ethan Hawke, a movie I loved, made my top three, top five of 2018. Awesome movie. And of course, people know Paul Schrader, a accomplished director in his own right, but also a well-known writer for his collaborations with Scorsese, namely Taxi Driver. And uh, what, Rage movie as well. Yeah. A legendary career at this point. He's pretty old. Um, and he's also really funny because he's like super online now. Like he just kind of just rants on his Facebook, public Facebook page and just says shit. So Paul Strader, I think, is becoming uh, more self-aware now that he's in his mid-70s. Um, oh, yeah. And he also co-wrote Last Impatient of Christ as well. So, yeah, the card counter uh, just premiered at, what was it, uh, Venice just came out in Focus Features, wide release, stars Oscar Isaac, and then also has Willem Dafoe, Tiffany Haddish, and Ty Sheridan in tow as well. And it's a very uh, good movie that wasn't quite what I expected uh, going in. I hadn't really seen the trailer. I think I'd seen like a little bit of the trailer when I was seeing previews for another movie, but I kind of go in blind. I was like, all right, Oscar Isaac, gambling, poker movie. Paul Schrader. Good enough for me. I don't need to know anything else. And it's that. And it's good. I think it's a good gambling movie. It's a good poker movie. There's some awesome like narration stuff on the work of Isaac explaining like Hold'em strategy, explaining Blackjack strategy, kind of narrating what his character is actually doing in the casinos. But the movie also, because it's a, a late period Paul Schrader movie, is very heady and has much grander ambition. First Reformed, of course, notable for being about a preacher who has a crisis of faith. But why is he a crisis of faith? It's because he's been subsumed by the dread of climate change. In this case, the card counter is about a poker player, a very good poker player who goes around the country, small casinos. He notably has small goals, small ambitions, doesn't want to win too much. You know, he'll count cards, but he's not going to take the casino to the cleaners. He'll just win a bit, move on, go to the next hotel, go to the next casino, do his thing. A man of routine. And then you figure out why uh, Oscar Isaac's character, William Tell, you figure out why Tell is a man of routine, and it's because he was a prison guard at Abu Ghraib 
prison in Iraq. And there's flashback scenes, uh, you know, kind of shot in a cool way, like a fishbowl lens. And you realize that uh, Tell, uh, as well as Willem Dafoe, were in Abu Ghraib. And if you know anything about that, that means they were uh, torturing and doing very inhumane things uh, to prisoners. And Tell is someone who's done his time as one of, he's like, he's, he's one of those soldiers like, in the pictures, the infamous pictures of mm-hmm. the prison guards and stuff. And now he's a man of the team kind of keep his life together. And he happens to be a good poker player. And that's what he does. And, you know, as he meets Tiffany Hatch and he meets Ty Sheridan's characters, he's, it's just kind of like this very appealing, uh, interesting push-pull of where he wants to take his, his, uh, his life. And as you imagine, like with First Reform and Paul Schrader's things, it's subsumed by guilt and purpose and again not not did not go where i thought it would go when you think of the log line of oscar isaac poker movie but mm-hmm. it's really good and i would recommend everyone see it trader is just he, he writes such interesting stuff now you know like even just you like describing this plot i'm like oh man i just have to go see this because i just want to know how things play out and it's so interesting to like take all these different aspects and see how they meld together as a story. Definitely one I want to get, uh, get to eventually. Um, what do you think of Sheridan? In this? Was he good? He was fine. He was, he was solid. You know, yeah. obviously we've talked about Ty Sheridan a bit, you know, he doesn't make the best impression of ready player one is probably biggest right. role to this point. Uh, yeah, he, he, but he plays a very important character and plays it well. And, um, um, the fact that he's a lot younger than Isaac works, works well for the two characters. Uh, yeah. And Haddish also a very interesting casting that. choice uh, for a Paul Schrader movie for a dramatic film, of course, you know, but it's a bit of a restrained performance on Haddish's part, but I think she does a, a really good job. And it's honestly probably one of her more interesting performances in a, in a minute since, you know, she blew up with, you know, Girl's Trip, what, five years ago, you know, definitely not, not comedic, although, you know, she has a, so her Tiffany Haddish charm. So, I, you know, not what I would have expected. Uh, a movie to see her in but uh, she's pretty good too interesting well definitely uh if you've seen this go check it out leave us a comment what you thought about the movie um if i ever get to it and it's worth it we'll circle back around mm-hmm. but dave let's talk about the emmys how how is it award season already you know or at least it's starting yeah it just feels like it never stops COVID emmys too baby <laughs> yeah she's uh COVID emmys too COVID harder <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna go through the uh the award the main awards here i mean there's so many um like mm-hmm. for example we can probably skip variety talk series as it's almost definitely going to be john oliver however maybe we'll get a little conan uh nod probably not but mm-hmm. um we're, we're gonna skip all the littler ones and just move to we're gonna start with a uh, limited or movie writing um which crazy that they kind of lump these together, but whatever, uh, you know, it's like, cause for example, we're going to be talking about Hamilton in the same breath that we talk about Queens Gambit. And okay. I we'll get to Hamilton you. in a second. I yeah. am very pissed that Hamilton is, is here. <laughs> it's freaking stupid. Yeah. But why don't we start with uh, writing in a limited series or movie? Um, you know, somehow WandaVision got three nominations here. Did you think WandaVision was that good in terms of writing? No, no, definitely okay. not. Disney, Disney push, Disney Plus, yes. very successful. Uh, this time around, Can't the Emmys. Uh, 
Disney was the second most awarded mm-hmm. uh, network for the Creative Arts Emmys that just happened this past weekend. They already won 13 times. Mando won seven times. And this is a general bellwether of what you think might continue for the main awards. So, yeah, Wanda, WandaVision being there a lot, though. Not, not what you expect, but I think there's a clear uh, favorite in this category. Yeah, I think it's I May Destroy You. Um, yeah. By far the best odds. And, uh, you know, if you, had to, if you had to pick an upset in this category, I mean, probably had to be Mayor of Easttown, but I, I think this one's a pretty sure lock. Right. And I mean, this is the most sure win that I'm sure is going to get, notably <laughs> the best show of 2020. But in, in the face of the Queen's Gambit uh, and Ani Taylor Joy, it seems like the best chance I'm sure is going to get in the category would be to win writing, which is totally uh, deserved. So that's nice to see. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, it, for, for directing in limited series or movie, the betting odds actually have queen's gambit as the favorite do you feel that way though do you think it's actually gonna win i think it will win yeah i mean i think the best directed limited series i saw was kind of clearly underground railroad um just the most cinematic thing there barry jenkins barry jenkins (laughs) yeah queen's gambit is a force uh nine creative arts wins this past weekend the most uh the winningest of anything that's already been uh awarded uh, Netflix, of course, leading the way, 34 wins the past weekend. So Queen's Gambit's going to have a big night, and that's going to start with Scott Frank in directing. You know, it's kind of kind of sad because obviously there's two um, I May Destroy You um, episodes that are up for the same category. So they probably eat each other, and then the yeah, Underground Railroad just not going to have the same push. But you're right. like This should go to Barry Jenkins for Underground Railroad. Kind of sad. Mm. He's not going to get it. Um, all right, now we're into the uh, supporting actor category for limited series or movie. Evan Peters, David Diggs, uh, Jonathan Groff, Anthony Ramos. Do you feel it? Do you feel it, Dave? Is Hamilton going to get the win here? It's I mean, a it's, waste it's just, of time. Yeah, what the fuck, man? It's so tired of it. stupid. But also, like, I think that here's the thing if this was Hamilton done again, for the sake of TV, totally cool. But this is not what this is. This is a film version of the original stage play for 2015, or sorry, yeah. 2016. So it's not like this was made for TV. It's just a recording of theater that then was played on TV. How is this an Emmy eligible thing? Yeah, it's I just mean, laziness just... to nominate all the performers all over again. Mm-hmm. David and Leslie Odom won their Tonys four years ago. For these same performances, the same performances. We don't need Completely to do this agree. again. Well, thankfully, Evan Peters is the favorite in this category, but David Diggs is right behind him. Mm. Um, I, I still, I think Peters will win it. But man, if someone had to win from this category, I would love to see uh, Papa Esadu from yes. "I May Destroy You." That'd be like a really fun right. uh, upset in yeah. this category. Peters is showy though, so you understand why yeah. he's going to get the votes. And you know, I, I've always liked Evan Peters, so. Uh, you know, nice to see him get an Emmy. So then moving on to supporting actress for the you know, limited series or movie. We do have uh, two Hamilton, Philip Sue and Renee Elise Goldsberry. But then we have, um, I-, I think, a nice mix here, right? Catherine Hahn for WandaVision is the favorite. 
get a couple of Mayor of East Towns with Julianne Nicholson and Gene Smart. You get a Queen's Gambit in here for Moses Ingram. Any of those stand out to you? Who do you, who do you think is going to take it? Yeah, this is one that's that if you didn't look at any odds, it's kind of like hard to pick a clear favorite. I know the odds say Catherine Hahn's going to win for WandaVision, but do you really think Marvel's going to get a, uh, an acting win, maybe two acting wins? Because Paul Bettany could win too. Like, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if like this is a Julianne Nicholson win kind of coming out of the blue. This is Jean Smart's second win. And I'd say this is the one she's less, or not, and this is the one she's less likely to win. I agree. So I'd say Hahn or Nicholson, but it could be, it could be a surprise here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if, if Han wins, then you're probably going to see Bettany win. Uh, I, I, this feels like a toss-up to me. But, yeah, the odds have Han pretty heavily ahead of Nicholson, unfortunately. So mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know why I don't want Disney Plus to win. I, I'm not sure why I'm rooting against WandaVision so much. I liked it. You know, I just don't want them to win for some, for some reason. Yeah. Maybe it's my Marvel bias. I don't know. <laughs> why don't we keep moving on? Um, actor in a limited movie. Uh, limited series or movie and you already said paul bettany he's the favorite then you got hugh grant for the undoing man I haven't thought about the undoing too much recently nope. i don't know well, once we saw how it ended it's like okay well good try yeah <laughs> fun week to week <laughs> and well and then you got you got the two big dogs leslie odom jr and lin-manuel miranda for hamilton and uh ewan mcgregor for halston a show we were just talking about which uh, man good for you and mcgregor Keep getting those noms. I mean, I guess it's probably Bettany, right? I mean, by default, when you say, yeah, I mean, this isn't a super inspiring category. Yeah, would... he's the only one who's in a good show that wasn't Hamilton, <laughs> right? And also, here's a great example of you know, it'd been cool to see here, Ethan Hawke from The Good Lord Bird or John Boyega from mm. Small Axe. But no, I have two more Hamilton noms just for shits, you know? Man, John Boyega would have been flames. Yeah, I believe he won the Globe for this category last year. Crazy. Yeah, or, it's probably going to be Bettany. Um, but, you know, maybe throw a little money on Hugh Grant and see if you can make out. It's so funny because the limit, the actor category is so much worse than the actress category for oh, the series man. or movie. I mean, you got Kate Winslet, Anya Taylor-Joy, Michaela Cole. Elizabeth Olsen and Cynthia Erivo. I mean, how can you pick out of those? Uh, Winslet's the favorite, but I think Ta- Taylor Joy is probably the person. For Lock it though. down, man. Right. Lock it down. Right? She won the globe, albeit uh, not against anyone else in this category, but she did win the globe. And yeah, like I said, Queen's Gambit is going to have a big night. They've already started having the big night with the creative arts wins. And she's the whole reason why Queen's Gambit went from being a really good period show to an excellent one because of her magnetism, you know? Yeah, and absolutely. It's a just coronation for a great actor. Which is really too bad because I May Destroy You was, you know, a show people loved, the critics loved. And right. it's probably going to not really win too many awards in its award season run. I mean, if you had to pick one one show to upset the Queen's Gambit, which is the heavy favorite in limited series, uh, best limited series, I think I May Destroy You is probably where I would go to. Because if, right. if you're going to get like the woke vote, that's where it's going to go. But I don't know. Queen's Gambit, like you said, just seems like a lock. Right. And that's a, I mean, that this is the best category of all the Emmys, just in terms of like heavy hitters. 
Queen's Gambit, Mayor of Easttown, I May Destroy You, The Underground Railroad, and WandaVision. Crazy. Absolutely stacked, like insane, you know? And yeah. Gambit won at the Globes, of course, against mainly other shows. Uh, completely different field, actually. And yeah, I would love I May Destroy You to win. That would be my pick because I think it's the, it, was, it was the best show. It was higher on my list last By year far. than Gambit. But I mean, it, it's just going to have a huge night. That's the way it is. Yeah. And we definitely root for Michaela Cole and I may show you winning for writing so they get something, you know? Yeah. But I mean, that, that, that's, it's, it's tough at the end of the day. You know, a limited series is routinely stacked because that's where some of the biggest work is done. And, you know, looking back on this, if Mayor of Easttown ends up getting a season two, it technically will no longer be a limited series. Also, Lovecraft Country was canceled. Mm-hmm. Only one season, but technically it's in the drama category. You know, the semantics of it constantly shift. But yeah, absolutely loaded the whole field. Again, Barry Jenkins is not going to win awards for putting out the most cinematic limited series of the year. It's just insane. Anyways, uh, we're moving on to drama now. Um, Starting with the writing. I mean... Pretty, pretty strong category. The Crown, Pose, Handmaid's Tale, Mandalorian, The Boys, Lovecraft Country. Uh, you know, we don't watch The Crown. but I want to watch The Crown. I just haven't watched it. The most recent season is way more intriguing because of the Diana stuff to me. Not, yes. big, uh, not a big Royals person. And the upcoming season will also have Diana now played by Elizabeth Debicki. Sign me up for that. Might, might have to tune in for the first yeah. time. But. You know, Pose actually feels like a good bet to me, um, only because I, I it's won awards before. It's beloved show. Um, I could see it taking this category, but this this feels a bit like the crown is like a sure thing from what I can gather. Yeah, this seems like the Emmys where the crown finally breaks through. Netflix finally wins their big, you know, series category winner. And that'll probably reflect on other awards such as uh, directing and writing, frankly, in the drama category. But, you know, we didn't totally rule out Lovecraft Country, which got a lot of nominations, got some uh, creative wins, like Courtney B. Vance in Guest Actor. So that wouldn't totally shock me. But, yeah, I mean, this kind of feels like there's going to be a lot of the ground, and they'll start here. Yeah, and then for directing, it's also the heavy, or I wouldn't say heavy favorite, but it's the favorite seven to two over... The Handmaid's Tale, which, I mean, we haven't watched Handmaid's Tale, but kind of crazy it's still getting awards. Feels like it was so much bigger a few years back. I mean, th- this kind of strikes me, and from what I understand, the show has obviously tailed off quite a bit since the early acclaim, mm-hmm. and reminds you a lot of how like Modern Family would like keep picking up wins, how the Kaminsky method keeps picking up nominations, stuff like that, you know? like mm-hmm. there's, there's a little like uh, laziness and familiarity with nominations this is us another example right now so right it feels like that's where handmaid's tale is at and also you know succession not eligible this time euphoria not eligible this time so they picked what they picked and, and we still got cool stuff like the boys getting nominated so overall yeah, we can check sure. each other talk about the nominations back in july overall not very critical of that but they did a pretty good job but you still get like stuff that no one's like super jazzed about anymore like the handmaid's tale right um, well, I think this next category, supporting actor in a drama, is actually a category that people will be 
paying attention to, mostly because the favorite, Michael K. Williams, just passed away. Uh, he was right. nominated for his role in Lovecraft Country. I was, I don't know. I don't know if he was the favorite prior to his passing. Um, but so the voting was done before he died. Yeah. So, so that's, I, I'd imagine he's just been the favorite the whole time. But um, I think definitely deserving. He was definitely great in Lovecraft Country. There's a lot of Mandalorian, or I guess maybe one Mandalorian, but there's a, a couple of Handmaid's Tale, is what I was trying to say on here. Uh, at least three of them. So they're going to kind of beat each other alive. So it really seems like probably Michael K. Williams versus yeah. Tobias Menzies. Yeah, if Crown just has a juggernaut night, maybe Menzies wins. But yeah, it feels like Michael K. Williams will finally get that Emmy that always eluded him. Obviously, having just huge roles, The Wire, Boardwalk Empire, Night Of, always a gigantic presence essential presence to every show he's been on and obviously a shame that he just passed no question experience it if he does win yeah so. uh, supporting actress a lot of handmaid's tale a couple of the crown <laughs> really i mean this is probably going to go to jillian anderson for portraying mm-hmm. Mar- margaret thatcher yeah um she won the globe over helena bottom carter earlier this year yeah. too so this category is tough because the only uh, the only actress who I've seen any of the work in it is uh, Anjanu Ellis. So um, I don't think she's going to win. So why don't we just kind of move on to uh, best actor in a drama, which guess what? Looks like the crown is favored again. But if anyone can upset, it will it would be Billy Porter, who is beloved uh, within this sphere. So, yeah, um, you know what I would of, say? I would say uh, I would root for uh reggie jean page to win for bridgerton i was just about to say i, I hope he i hope he upsets because that would just be fun yeah you know? people love him and people love him because of bridgerton it was a star making role right uh, in january and i i think that'd be really exciting you know he also is not returning to bridgerton for season two so this is kind of one chance for that performance to be honored and also like it's okay to break up the monotony. We don't, if, if there's only 11 crown wins instead of 12, crown heads will be fine, you know? Yeah, uh, right. But yeah, I mean, Josh O'Connor is probably going to win. Kind of funny to think that Jonathan Major, such a standout talent, probably has no shot in this category. But then again, <laughs> like, it actually isn't the showiest role. He kind of is playing a straight man on Lovecraft yep. Country, despite totally. how talented he is. So. Well, it's funny because I was going to say shout out to Matthew Reese who we liked in Perry Mason. And yeah. I think very much any other year could have been right near the top, but just, uh, yeah, right. it seems like the crown is going to clean up here, uh, which continues in the uh, best actress in a drama where Emma Corrin is a uh, pretty heavy favorite to, to win this mm-hmm. category. And it seems like a sure thing. Um, MJ Rodriguez for Pose is in second. I mean, it's kind of crazy that it's just like pose of the crown for these right. top categories here. But so, so Olivia Coleman did not win for the last season of the crown. She lost to Zendaya, who of course is not in the mix this year. So the Olivia Coleman awards darling thing is still kind of on the surface. Cause we don't actually like have the data point really to suggest. Um, but Corin did win the globe just like Josh O'Connor. So in all, in all likelihoods, probably it's going to go chalk. Yeah. Well, drama series, best drama series, The Crown, Mandalorian, Pose, Handmaid's Tale, Bridgerton, Lovecraft, Country, The Boys, and This Is Us. Dave, who's your pick? It's really hard to see The Crown not winning. 
with all the other expected wins it's gonna have you know like maybe lovecraft country just has a huge like upset night a few other wins and then it wins i guess it's plausible but i mean yeah i don't mandalorian got a lot of nominations but i can't see that winning you know and obviously next year this will be succession probably again so this is a great opportunity for show at the crown to finally break through given yeah. all the love for it yeah you know mandalorian has the second best odds on betting sites but i i, I think it's probably just going to be the crown so i wouldn't wouldn't place too much money in this category and you know i almost feel like that boringness is going to continue this might not be an award show i tune into at all because uh i think other than limited series we're probably not going to get a lot of variety in the comedy one either um we're going to start with writing and we'll kind of get to the narrative but uh you have ted lasso hacks the flight attendant uh girls five eva and, and pen 15 as the ones nominated here a couple episodes for ted lasso looks like ted lasso's pilot is probably going to be the the winner of this um and i think it's gonna be a big night for ted lasso honestly oh definitely a big night for ted lasso it'd be nice if hacks could get something because i definitely would chop that up as a superior written show than ted lasso quite easily uh but yeah i mean there's also not a lot of comedies truly in the mix here like apart from like made for love and hbo max there was not a whole lot of stuff i thought like was left on the cutting room floor just weren't a lot of comedies eligible this time around so they did what they could but i mean look at the glut of ted lasso acting nominations it's a a little uh little much for me i'm also not the biggest fan of the show but yeah ted lasso is gonna do well yeah i mean we can kind of zoom through the best director in a comedy gonna be ted lasso (laughs) um Comedy supporting actor Ted Lasso was nominated four times, but it looks like Keenan Thompson might pull this out. Is what and that, that's for Keenan, not for SNL. Uh, no, actually, it's for SNL. I believe. It is for SNL. Yeah, at least oh, okay. that's what Gold Derby has. Okay, so. that makes more sense then. But man, if it was nominated for Keenan, I would be like, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I think it, this was his last uh, season on snl one of the longest running members of the cast so just kind of getting that lifetime achievement award type nod um the kaminsky method shows up here paul reeser gets a nom um carl clemens hopkins for hacks but yeah it seems like keenan is probably the safe bet with breck goldstein from ted lasso um as as roy kent as a solid second choice um supporting actress hannah wanting him for mm-hmm. ted lasso <laughs> i mean it seems like it's just gonna be ted lasso night yeah. man i mean yeah i'd love hannah and binder to win for hacks but alas yeah. it's probably hannah waddingham well here we are yeah probably no shot for cecily strong this is also her last season on snl um right but you know if, if you're gonna see it that might be it i never watched the flight attendant did you ever see that I wanted to check it out. It, you know, that was the first HBO Max show to get some big buzz after, uh, what was it, the Anna Kendrick one, Love Life, and yeah. also got some Globe noms. So it's coming back for a second season. I might check it out because it, 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 I think that's notable because it's kind of like hacks. There's there's plenty of drama alongside the comedy, whereas yeah. Ted Lasso is pretty clearly uh, attempting to be a light, a light, mm-hmm. lighter fare the entire time. So yeah, it depends what you're into. It's been on my radar for sure. Um, all right. Best actor in a comedy series. Big names here. William H. Macy, Anthony Anderson, Keenan Thompson, Michael Douglas. But 
you know that Jason Sudeikis is going to take this baby home for Ted Lasso. Seems like a lock, pretty much. Oh, it's definitely a lock. But also, I mean, just look at look at the look at the the choices here. Like Anthony Anderson, Michael Douglas, William H Macy. They've been nominated so many times. They're yep. just kind of like write-ins at this point. And Keenan was actually nominated for Keenan. That's in what this I was category. thinking. Of. <laughs> yeah, which uh, I mean, good for him, but I don't think he has much of a shot. So. Good for Jason Sudeikis. He needs it after his wife ran off with uh, Harry Styles. So, very tough. Very tough. (laughs) Um, Here we go. If Hacks is going to take it, this feels like the category. And Jean Smart is the favorite to win Best Actress in a Comedy Series. But she's up against Kaylee Cuoco for The Flight Attendant, Tracy Ellis Ross for Blackish, Allison Janney for Mom. How is mom still getting nominations? I don't know. And then people like Allison Jenny. Yeah. Yeah. She's very likable. Um, I mean, yeah, this should be smart and also great just because it's almost like a late career uh, achievement acknowledgement award for her work on Fargo and Watchmen and Mary Town and uh, whatever else I'm forgetting. She's been crushing it for years now at this point on TV. So well-earned, but I mean, also she's, so good on hacks uh, it would be yeah. my choice regardless yeah i totally agree so uh i'm glad there's no ted lasso in this category because it lets yeah. Gene smart take something home but then we get to uh best comedy series ted lasso hacks the flight attendant kaminsky method 10 uh ooh, pen 15 blackish cobra kai getting cobra kai getting a nom here good for them and emily in paris <laughs> emily in paris oh that's hilarious you know i, uh, I kind of want to watch it still I've watched episodes uh, by the person I live with, Julianne. Watched the yeah. whole thing, and it's uh, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And that's what I understand. <laughs> but see, that's the thing. Now I have morbid curiosity. How bad is yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> Just how bad can it get? Cause, well, because you know what, they're in Paris. They shot it in Paris. I like Lily Collins. It, Let me see how bad it is. It does look good. I will say that. And it wasn't it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be, and especially from what, what I had heard critically, but it definitely is not a good show. Um, <laughs> anyways, it's probably more interesting than this this category because Ted Lasso is also going to win this category. Yeah. Hacks, please like just up give us an upset here, just to make it interesting. Yeah, just are. yeah, man. I mean, last year Shits Creek ran amok with many comedy wins this year it'll be ted lasso again at least this year it's a little more defensible given the relatively lack of other choices but they still went a little od in my opinion and you know one other thing i would love to see a variety special recorded hamilton is nominated but i would love to see bo burnham win for inside he is also nominated, and bo did win uh three creative arts uh emmys already for inside for writing music direction and directing so maybe it's possible that Bo will upset hamilton <laughs> anything else that you're um like rooting for hoping for uh i guess not you know honestly i'm, I'm happy to i'm happy to see anna taylor joy win just because yeah just so invested in her career she's just so great you know so definitely want to see that and if i made a sure can win a second time somehow That'd be amazing. Not betting on it, though. I'm so much more invested in these limited series categories than anywhere else. So kind of funny how that happens. But right. Anyways, yeah. uh, follow us on Twitter at Nostalgia Pod. If anything big happens, we'll, we'll tweet about it. 
live, but most likely this is going to be a chalk. So uh, find another way to spend your Sunday night, I would probably say. Um, Dave, we're wrapping up there. What should the people be listening to for next week? Yeah, Sex Education returns season three on Netflix. Uh, the debut album from Little Nas X, Montero, here at last. Uh, Cry Macho, the Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah. From Warner Brothers, also on HBO Max, will be out. Uh, a few other things we'll be checking in on. So, of course, the Emmys will be happening. So, Eyes of Tammy Faye starting to come out. Let's go. Follow yeah. us, soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod and youtube.com slash nostalgiapod. And also, like we said before, Nostalgia Best of 2021 on Spotify to get all the music we talk about. Catch you next week. Yeah.